0: The, the golden rules is just don't make me wait, don't make me search, don't make me think, just make me find something. Um you can get away with a very simple website. Like people are not clicking on a website thinking like, Okay, I hope this is a beautiful website. Oh wow, yes. I'm like, no, they wanna find a daycare center or they wanna you know, get their car serviced or whatever. That's what they wanna do. Or they wanna find a phone number to call the city because something's broken or trash is being collected, whatever. That's what they wanna do when their website just helps. So people need help with their marketing. That's what I want them to do on my website.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ship It and Sip It. I'm happy to have Frank Depmat here with me in the studio today. And Frank joins us from Helsinki. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, yeah, the cold north.
1: Awesome. Well, I think you're the first uh, guest or founder that I've had from from Finland, from Helsinki. So I'm excited to talk to you and uh, see what's going on with your company, Pinkbird. Uh, Pinkbird Marketing Agency. It's very new, so uh, tell us what made you decide that now is a good time to launch a marketing agency.
0: Yeah, like well, when is not a good time to launch something, right? Like once right. you, <laughs> when you are when you want to get going, that's kind of the the moment. Um, but yeah, really, I've um, kind of completely shifted my career to be in marketing. Um, Always had like a lot lot of interest there, a lot of side projects going on. Um, But yeah, I just figured like, hey, if I'm doing this full time and I was gonna have some sort of a project going on, some sort of passion project um, that kind of helps me get better at what I do. And you know at the same time, help other people as well. Um, So that was kind of my reason for starting. And um, yeah, starting it now is because just like, when wouldn't you start? Like once you have the idea, once you are set on that you wanna do something, then you know you can read up on it endlessly, or you can just get going basically. And um, yeah, that's that's how it started.
1: Awesome. Well, in today's show, I'm excited. We're going to talk about what's going on with the launch of the new agency. So the last couple months, and we're going to talk a little bit about your experience, all the side projects you are involved in, sort of your path to get to marketing and Pinkbird, and then we'll wrap up with some practical advice for founders things that you've learned sort of talking with them in this consultancy role that you've taken on. So uh, you put together all of your experience to launch a brand new brand and company at Pinkbird. So I'm curious, this will probably help founders as well right away. uh, What is your go-to-market strategy at the moment?
0: Yeah, so right now we're mostly focused on on creating content. when you're starting off, like a like a brand, basically, um, like you need to create associations with what you want to be known for. And for us, we want to be known for being, you know, good or excellent at marketing. So to prove that, we need reference cases. We need uh, to put out case studies and like expert level content to kind of get that sort of message out there. And you can't just kind of show up and say like, oh, we're an expert, by the way. I'm like, okay. So what did you do? Like, show me the expert stuff. Like, where is it? Um, so that's. We've kind of gathered all the projects we've done over the past and then kind of the work we've done for other people and sort of put that together and then we're just going to build on top of that so mainly we're doing a blog now uh, where we kind of just write content that is relevant to our audience uh, so more, mostly marketing strategies or just very uh, practical day-to-day tips uh, for example like how to you improve your twitter profile stuff like that and um for distribution we're going with Pinterest because it is, um, it's actually a fantastic platform. It's a mix between sort of visual search engine and social media. So your content has a long shelf life. And basically, our strategy is do a blog post, get it on Pinterest with six different pins, uh, set a notification three months later, we make new pins. And it kind of like sort of just builds up the long tail, basically. So that's kind of the long term. Uh, Short term is, um, appearing on podcasts, reaching out to people directly, um, just looking for opportunities on Twitter. So we have kind of a long form content, long-term content plan, uh, combined with more like direct outreach kind of things.
1: Right on. And in terms of Twitter, you're relatively new to that platform as well as, as a person and as a company. Uh, I'm curious, what, what uh, drew you to the build and public community there? That's how I met you. That's how we got into sort of the same sphere there.
0: Yeah, so for, for Twitter, I've used it for previous projects um, going back a couple of years. But the whole build in public thing, it was super, super interesting. I actually found it through Parallax. They were posting about it. Um, and eventually decided to use Twitter more because Twitter just, the, the people on Twitter convert really well. It's a very responsive platform. Um, and you can train the algorithm really quickly to sort of only put you into the uh, the crowd that you want to be in. So if you start following other founders, you start following your potential customers um, and interacting with them. Like within no time, you're kind of in that sphere. Whereas with other platforms like LinkedIn, like m- my LinkedIn currently is kind of this weird sort of collective of all the different jobs I've had and every random coworker I've had over the years. And it's like, it's not my target audience mostly in there. It's just people that I you know worked in with companies. Um, and on Twitter, it's much more focused. You can make a new Twitter profile and if you stick to a niche, you're going to grow quite quickly there. So,
1: yeah, I've sort of been scratching my head at LinkedIn lately as well. Uh, I've been trying to, you know, everybody says to not just write posts, but also to comment and and engage and bring value to to grow your network. Uh, but I found that, and it's like it's a lot of marketers talking about marketing on Twitter, and I don't know if or on LinkedIn. And I don't know if that's just a product of who I've followed so far and and my roles and interests on the platform, but I really like, I want to find more founders that are sharing their startup stories on LinkedIn in interesting ways um, that aren't just talking about marketing and copywriting and content marketing, because I'm kind of bored with it at this point. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it is is an interesting platform. Like it is kind of the same as Twitter in a sense that um, it converts quite well. People mostly use it from a desktop, for example, um, which is something that actually helps a lot if you want to land people on your web page. Um, Because for like the user journey on these social platforms, if you are on on your mobile phone, it will open this little proprietary browser. It doesn't even go into your history, nothing. Like they click out of it and they're gone again. So for converting more like business to business type things, um, having people use a platform from desktop is actually preferable. So LinkedIn and Twitter are both good, um, but it's just the nature of the platform. Like Twitter, you join it and you start following people with your interest. And LinkedIn, it's a little bit more of kind of an online resume combined with like wherever you've worked. So like very practically, if you wanna train your LinkedIn, just go into all of your followers and delete everyone who is not useful and go find the same people you follow on Twitter, on LinkedIn, just reach out like, hey, are you on LinkedIn? Um, And then do the same thing there, that that should work. Um, But yeah, the issue is it's mostly like an online resume. So you're gonna find all these job seekers and and stuff like that. So it can work the same, but you need to really like train it basically.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you shared a little bit on Twitter uh, about tools as you've gone along the journey. I think uh, yesterday you posted about deleting Notion or getting rid of Notion. So uh, I'm curious, and maybe this will also help other founders who are in a similar position as you, how are you organizing everything around the brand launch to be very efficient since it is still a side hustle? You obviously don't want to spend all your extra time on Pinkbird.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Um, like at least here in Finland, we have this this sort of service where you can launch uh, your business quite quickly. It took like two seconds and you have everything. You have a VAT ID, you have everything. Um, just needed a name change and you can like manage everything from one platform. So that, that side is really, really useful. And then in terms of, of course, other tools you use, um, some things I think are just kind of um, well necessary especially if you're collaborating, something like Google Docs. Or if you do use Notion, that's fine. Um, but for me, it was like, OK, I have this Google Workspace, and it has everything already. Like, why am I also using Notion for stuff? It's pointless. So a collaboration tool, get a social media management platform, um, and you're going to need something for business insights, something that can give you leads, something that can you know, get you data, basically. So for me now, it's we use Google. Uh, we have a group chat on Twitter. That's our communication channel. And um, other than that, I use Metricool to schedule all my social stuff.
1: Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you about Metricool. Actually, I was just checking it out the other day since you uh, recommended it. So uh, what what makes them stand out among the thousands of social media planning platforms? There are a lot. And I've actually tried almost all of them.
0: I should do a blog post or a video about it. Yeah. Um, they actually have all the features that you might need. Like some of them, like they'll just randomly like not have a social media platform in there. Um, like I've used to Gora Pulse back when the Twitter API was still available to do like Twitter listening, um, which was amazing for that. But then they don't have YouTube statistics. Like okay, or you have YouTube statistics and it shows you views, and then you're like, yeah, but I want to know what's the viewing duration, like what videos are being watched through, like what's the algorithm going to like, and. Um, In Metrical, they just have all of that. They have the video view durations. They have click-through rates. They have everything um, kind of right in there. And for a price, I'm paying like $18 a month. Um, Whereas with the more expensive or the more premium platforms that have less features, you'll be paying upwards of $100 a month. So it's like kind of a no-brainer at this point. Also, their customer support. I'm not sponsored by this, but I just get happy when companies actually do their customer support right. It's like there's someone sitting right there just waiting for you to say something. And it's a human, not like a bot. So um, that is that is something that I think a lot of companies can learn something from.
1: Very cool. Well, uh, founders, if you're looking for a social media management tool, check out Metricool. Apparently it's amazing. Hopefully I'll start using it soon too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm curious about... There are quite a few marketing agencies out there in the world. Uh, were there any that you looked at, either marketing or other agencies, that you looked at as inspiration when you were sort of ideating around Pinkbird and getting ready for launch?
0: Not, not specifically like looking at other agencies. Uh, of course, did look up like what the kind of industry average rates are. Um, so you don't wanna be like, you don't wanna be a price fighter because it's always a race to the bottom because we're always someone gonna be cheaper. You just have a very specific like value that you offer, and I think it's more important to focus on like what you're offering and who you're offering it to, and like what does it actually do to help people, um, than to look at what other agencies do because they have different experience, they have different people there, so they're going to do something different. Um, I did check out several YouTubers that I know that are in the Creator Space, mostly uh, towards their social media management. Um, I did look at them for like inspiration of like how did they get started, how they get structured, how they get the first customers, but not as in opening a bunch of agencies and just literally seeing what they're offering um, because that's kind of reverse engineering. It if you're like, okay, I want to make money. What do I do? Okay, let's see what they're doing. and I'm going to mimic that. That's yeah. the, the wrong way of going. It's like, hey, I see that this is an issue and I can solve that. Okay, like what would it be worth to people to get that solved? And then you're doing it right. So there's kind of, no reason to look at other agencies. I mean, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, I was more curious about it in terms of like their marketing approach or what they're doing as to 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 go uh, to market with their agencies. Um, is there any any that stand out in your mind?
0: Well, actually, I do think that the uh, the build in public movement, as you guys at Parallax were doing it. I don't know what happened to it, by the way. It seemed to have kind of died out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> A little bit. There were whole scoreboards posted publicly and stuff. Um, I, I do think that that is currently the way to go to utilize people. I've seen a large company, uh, Cisco. They make the, like networking equipment, for example. Uh, they gave 82,000 of their employees uh, training to be LinkedIn influencers. And they just put it in their company targets. Like, go on LinkedIn. Um, talk about your work here. Because after, you know, after COVID and after all of these scandals at companies and governments, people are kind of done with logos telling them what to do. Yeah, yeah. So you see that there's more of a need for this human connection. Like I don't really care what Google posts on you know, LinkedIn or Twitter, what company updates they have, but I would love to see like what one of their project managers or product managers that make all these products that go to the Google graveyard or something. Yeah. Like I would love to see the daily life of a product manager at Google and how they do everything. Um, so using the people in your company to basically like be Uh, part of your, your channel. I think that's, that's kind of the future of, um, at least social media marketing. There are 18 other different channels you can pick from. um, but basically that is at least for social media, like the the, the future, nobody cares about your logo at this point.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll try to keep the train rolling with our team as well. I know it's, I talked with eager and it's definitely still a priority and, and the team as well. So, uh, you know, everybody sort of has lulls. It's kind of the end of the summer. A lot of people took vacation time, yada, yada, yada. So hopefully we'll keep the ball rolling in that front. All right, Uh, just a more general question though, I'm curious why you're driven to start Pinkbird as an agency rather than any sort of product.
0: Yeah, so for for like building a product, um, it's not that I was like seeking out like, okay, like what, What can I build? What can I go do as a side hustle? It's just that I'm I'm really interested in marketing and I've noticed that the experience I can take from from my career at this point puts me at a really interesting intersection between like tech business development and and marketing sales kind of in the middle there with all my experience. Um, And that that I'm able to actually make very practical plans. You can take a big picture and make something very practical really quickly. Um, and there there seems to be a market for that. Because every, every time I have a talk with someone or uh, they're like, oh, how should I tackle this or whatever, at the end of it, they're like, oh, shit, this is great. So I'm like, hey, I can really solve problems here. So it didn't really cross my mind. Like, oh, I need to start a product. I need to start an agency. It was more like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this now. I have all these projects I've done. I'm giving people advice. Why not start a company with it? Uh, make a website, figure out an hourly rate, and
1: you know, like, just go from there. Right on, and among the build in public space on Twitter, uh, it seems like a sort of popular niche buzzword these days is productized services. Uh, the first example that pops to mind is um, this guy from Design Joy. Have you seen his tweets about uh, Brett at Design Joy? Uh, anyway, yeah, I think so yeah, he's gone viral a couple times, and his basic uh, premise is, I make X amount of of money per month as a solo design agency. And this is how I do it. I work on uh, one design task per month. And I have 10 companies that have signed up to this, to subscribe to me as a designer. But I only work on one task at a time and they pay a subscription fee for the whole month. And every time he posts these numbers, it kind of goes viral. People get riled up. They do the math because his prices are quite high. So the companies are paying something like 7K a month to have him, but there are 20 of them. So they break down his time. And if he's only working on one task at a time, X amount of hours in a month, he's only working for these companies like six or seven hours for 10K. It just, it blows everybody's mind. So anyway, that's the backstory for this whole uh, question setup. Uh, so, productized services. Do you have any ideas around that?
0: Yeah, I've actually been looking at it to sort of offer that as well, more like a like a retainer kind of thing. Like yeah. You get a discount basically on the hourly rate, um, but then it would be like you're on retainer and you get so many hours uh, a month, for example. Um, because ultimately, like recurring revenue is just its stability, um, yeah. and it's it's eventually something like everybody's talking about their monthly recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue. And if you only do things on an hourly basis, like you get some something here, or something there. Uh, so I have been looking at that actually, uh, kind of figuring out a price point for that, because there is all science behind pricing as well. Um, I think a lot of people, and what you mentioned is interesting, that the guy um, is is basically asking for like oh so much money, but it depends on who you're targeting. If you're targeting enterprise, they don't blink twice at like five thousand for a consulting session, like they're. Probably used to dealing with people like from McKinsey, and they're like, okay, well, this is only on a set of like 7,000, like whatever. Um, so it kind of, your pricing really tells something about like where you want to be. Like Of course, if you under deliver, like you draw something in paint and it looks miserable, um, of course, you got to figure out like, okay, we want our money back. This is not cool. Um, but if you do really good work, don't be afraid to charge for it. And And I think it's actually kind of a, a problem with a lot of founders that they don't actually charge enough, um, because if you Google an industry rate for something, um, you don't know what comes up. This might be, you know, coming from low wage countries, and then they average it out. Like um, you always have to kind of keep in mind what you should actually be asking for for something like what it's worth. There's a an anecdote for that. Uh, if you look at, um, for example, Formula One, right, the people in the pit stop there. They're expert mechanics. They can expertly change your tire in two seconds. You can go to a local garage where there's some drunk guy who basically just destroys your car and it goes off balance, but it was
1: $20. And there's a lot of
0: variations in between. They do the same thing. They you know, change your car tire, but one's excellent and the other is, you know, well, it sort of works. So.
1: Right, okay. And I also wanted to ask you because you just redid your website a few days ago. Uh, It's much more compact. I like both versions. Uh, But you took it from sort of a three-page scroll with the usual layout of options and some user testimonies, things like that. Uh, And you put it all on one page. It's a bit, uh, it seems a little overwhelming at first from a text perspective. That was my first impression. But then once I actually read through it all, I realized, hey, everything's right here and your call to action is very clear to uh, book a free consultation. So I'm curious about your thoughts around that and um, why did you want to change it?
0: Yeah, so basically just, I sent a bunch of ad traffic to the website um, to see how well it converts and it converted like shit. So then I was like, okay, like if there's something that seems off, then, you know, like change a little bit. Um, But if nothing seems to work, then just change the whole thing. So I just went back to my education as I did Internet management and web design is an actual like study, and the the golden rules is just don't make me wait, don't make me search, don't make me think, just make me find something. Um, and ultimately, like as long as the, the layout is good, um, you can get away with a very simple website. Like people are not clicking on a website thinking like, okay, I hope this is a beautiful website. Oh wow, yes. I'm like no, they want to find a daycare center or they want to you know get their car serviced or whatever, that's what they want to do. Or they want to find a phone number to call the city because something's broken or the trash is being collected, whatever. That's what they want to do when your website just helps. So people need help with their marketing. That's what I want them to do on my website. Fill out the form so I can help them with their marketing. Not look at my website and go like, oh wow, that, that looks really cool.
1: Fair enough, yeah. Well, I hope it's uh, working better. For, and you're getting more calls. So, who do you want to fill out that form? Do you have an ideal sort of solo founder company? Who do you like to talk to?
0: Yeah, so definitely people who um, who are kind of like taking on their own marketing. Uh, usually, if you have a marketing team and they're not figuring it out, maybe you hired the wrong people. Um, but marketing teams can get stuck. You know, if they just need a session, need to unstuck, that's fine. But mostly, the the audience for this uh, would be. People are kind of in a scale up phase at this point, um, or startups who just need, you know, like a really, really concrete plan of like, okay, like there's millions of options out there. Often they only know one or two. Like, yeah, we have social media, we can do Google Ads or something. Um, So basically, any organization that needs a concrete plan that they can get going with like tomorrow, basically, that is kind of the ideal customer. So it's not going to be enterprise. If it would be enterprise, it would be an additional zero behind the hourly rate. because for enterprise processes are very long and that doesn't fit into the, you get a practical marketing strategy. They want very large, more abstract things often. Um, so this is focused mostly towards small business, solopreneurs, startups, um, that type of crowd.
1: Very cool. And we talked, uh, when I, when I booked that call, we talked about experiments a little bit. And you're very much an experimenting guy. So uh, I'm curious, what is your current or latest experiment? And what did you learn? Or what are you learning from it?
0: So, well, the latest one (laughs) is changing my own homepage. Yeah. Um, So now just like sending some traffic there. Uh, But I think that before anything really converts for us, we're going to need more case studies and a few more testimonials to like really get that to stand out. Um, and it's actually a really valuable feedback that you just mentioned that initially the text was a bit overwhelming. So I might do something that draws the attention a little bit more to you know like the three points of like, hey, what can you get here? Maybe like a colored background or something um, to pull away from that, or cut even more text. So the current experiment is with our own websites, like how are we going to get it to convert better? Um, Learnings so far, <laughs> is that complicated websites are not needed. That was the first kind of lesson. Like, don't look at what everybody else is doing and just do that. Like, when you make a website, it of course needs to fit kind of the expectation pattern of the visitor. If you are a law firm and you put all sorts of like flowers on there and curly fonts and stuff, people like is a florist like, no, like what is this? So it needs, to, it needs to fit in that that sort of expectation, but don't go overboard. Like, unless you really want to showcase that you can make fancy websites, um, don't do it. That is kind of my initial learning from this. You're just confusing people.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I guess the last thing I wanted to ask about Pinkbird, since you are in Helsinki, it's a very cold place. And you don't strike me as a guy that really gets down on pastel pink. Um, wh- where, did, where did the brand sort of Come from originally? How did you decide on this yeah, style? well,
0: <laughs> well, like I do really like the sort of like Miami vibe, you know, like the the, the pastel colors and all that the stuff. Kind of the whole vaporwave vibe, um, okay. a bit of like 90s graphics in there. I don't know. If you ever seen vaporwave, just like look it up. Um, it's quite an interesting art style. But for the for the name itself, like we started off as Amplique, which sounds a bit French. Um, but nobody who's a native English speaker could pronounce it. So I quickly wanted to change it. <laughs> so you couldn't tell the English speakers with that. Um, and actually my, my father used to have an advertising agency called Pink Panther Productions years ago. So I think that kind of stuck in my mind. And when I was brainstorming names and stuff, I landed on Pink Bird. And then after it was all registered and stuff, I remembered like, oh yeah, he had that agency. Literally, an advertising agency called Pink Panther after the cartoon. So, maybe that was sort of subliminally stuck in my head somewhere. Um, and that's how I landed on that. Other than that, it's catchy. It's easy to pronounce. Um, if you can't spell pink word, you probably also cannot fill out an invoice or something. So, they're two very simple words. Um, and people start having fun with it. It's like you posted a picture that you have around the office of a flamingo, and people start using the emojis. So, it's something people can easily have fun with. Um, and there are Graphics everywhere you can use in Canva and whatever of Flamingos. So it's actually quite easy branding also to work with. Uh, there's a lot of material that you can, can easily use.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good advice. Um, all right. So on the site, you aside from the homepage, you've, you've written quite extensively about your career path on the About page. So we don't have to go through everything you've done. Uh, I, I highly recommend that people go and read that. Uh, Frank's had a very interesting sort of path to where he is now. Um, but I'm just curious, since you sort of bounce back and forth between marketing and the tech side, uh, what do you I- enjoy more or uh, about marketing versus uh, managing or building tech?
0: Yeah, so like originally, um, all of it kind of started off with several actual IT jobs, uh, ranging from system engineering to sysadmin and whatever. Uh, But on this side, I have always done things in publishing, like Red magazine and and other publications. And what I find it more interesting about it. It's still very data-driven, so you can absolutely become analytical and and actually troubleshoot something, which is a lot of fun. But then you also have the human aspect in it. Um, And and in tech, I miss that a lot. Um, And it's made sound very bad for tech people, but they often do seem to have a little bit of a sort of complex, like, okay, like, we're the tech people, and the rest of the world is kind of nonsense, like, um, and you don't really have that in the sort of commercial side of business. So being able to understand both sides, um, it's more fun uh, for me to work in marketing or sales or, or that side, because it can still be technical and analytical, but at the same time, also um, a large interest in psychology and the human side of things. And it like perfectly combines that for me, basically. Uh, so it kind of feels feels at home.
1: Very cool. And I was pretty interested in the side hustles you were um, doing years ago, like online magazines and different uh, story formats that you worked with. Um, so what lessons did you sort of pick up there in terms of digital content and I guess was it very community-based? Uh, what did you learn there?
0: Yeah, so uh, basically over the years, like the way people interact with content online has kind of changed, um, and especially people, how they they create content. Like before 2016, 17, like you could find a lot of people online just doing things for fun. They would just be having a blog or you know, they would work on, on a site project just for fun, basically. And you can kind of see that shift during the creator economy. Um, and then, of course, also COVID-19 pushed a lot of people into the creator economy as the rest kind of dried up. And you see the shift in content going for just making it because you enjoy it to really seeing content being made uh, to convert. And that is just like at least the creator space, something I've I've noticed. Now, in terms of like what type of content does well, that will never change, like fundamentally the type of things that people would want to share, practical information, um, you know, things that evoke emotions or storytelling. There are stories written on caves um, in pictures, basically. And we're still doing that. So fundamentally, the types of content don't change. But the reasons why a lot of people create content now are changing. And I think with the advent of AI now, especially generative AI, it's going to be more important than ever to make unique content that is unique to you. Um, you can get whatever you want generated, and I think very soon we're going to see that human content is kind of the premium stuff and all of the stuff that's generated is kind of seen as uh, that's low effort, it's less. People feel a bit cheated, like, oh, you just click generate? It's, it's this balance between effort, right? Like one person invests time and effort and they get emotional reading your content, and then they figure out you didn't do it. You pressed a button, you tricked them. So... It's a double-edged sword. Like, yes, it can be very helpful for content production. Absolutely. But don't just use it to make the content because it will backfire pretty soon.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to get into AI a little bit later uh, just in terms of how founders might be able to use it. Uh, because, but we can do that now, actually. So um, you and you, your co-founder, is Zeng your co-founder or yeah, yeah. partner? Okay. Yeah. Uh, she and you post a lot of really cool generative AI, mostly visual content, as far as I can tell. Um, most of your writing seems to be from you, uh, <laughs> but it's hard to tell with, with text. Um, I guess, what is my question here? Uh, how do you think that there are ways that the generative art can support sort of content marketing objectives for founders?
0: Um, I think definitely like with generating um, AI art, for example, it can be used to do so many things. You can, you can, for example, make um, examples of a product you have in mind. Um, pretty soon, it can basically just generate, you can generate landing pages, um, all sorts of stuff. So it can really be kind of this thing that is supplemental. Um, for example, when I was running Hectoria, which is a capture the flag platform for cybersecurity uh, people, um, like we wanted to have cool images that kind of Tied into the story for every objective for every level, the kind of like game people are playing. And if you're like not making profit or anything, like you're not gonna go and find an artist or have someone do this on commission basis or whatever. so being able to generate something that you can use that is actually that you own kind of own the copyright to it and you can just use it. That is that is very useful. So there's definitely something there to um, how to put this. <laughs> Like, it's, there's this discussion going on, right, that people say, like, okay, it's stolen content, it's not, and now Adobe has generative AI, and they're like, no, you can use this, this commercial is fine, We have Adobe lawyers who looked at this, you know, you're good. So, it kind of cleared up the air. Uh, I think once, like, the biggest designer software in the world said, we have generative AI, and um, you can use it for all sorts of projects to kind of augment what you're doing. But of course, don't start passing it off as like real content. Um, There's a scam going on actually now on Instagram where they use uh, Midjourney to generate like architecture, pictures of architecture, and they put it on Instagram and they pretend it's a real place in the world. Um, I think one guy we both follow, uh, James Kim, I think it was him, he posted, I think yesterday, that he spent like half an hour looking for a hotel in Vietnam to find out that it was actually generated by AI. He was like, so that's kind of like not the way to use it. But right. if you want a supportive image for your blog, or you want something that you can put on a thumbnail image, or you want desktop wallpapers, it's great. You can have images on the map, basically. So, yeah, that is the long kind of, at <laughs> least into images, when text is a whole different story. Um, but for images, um, it's just great to be able to make material this quickly.
1: For sure um yeah and if anybody's interested i guess you you and zang also share a lot about the prompts that go into your images um i've played around with a couple of the platforms but haven't gone into it nearly as deeply as you guys have so i recommend that um anybody who's really interested follow you and Zhang. i'd love to have Zhang on the show at, at some point to talk about femstock i think she's still working on that as far as i know so yeah. uh I'll reach out to her next because I really love the idea behind that product of hers. So, uh, where were we? We were talking about sort of how the internet social landscape changed. You wrote a, a, a great blog post about this recently. It was inspired by a tweet from somebody we Which know. I think posted yeah.
0: about it, yeah. uh,
1: so in So in, uh, in that blog post, you said, as you said earlier, these days it's much more about the bottom line, optimizing your funnel, getting your pitch right. Fewer places than ever do things purely out of enjoyment. And this creates a lot of stress and pressure. So we've talked a little bit about the motivations for that and what what sort of led to the situation. But I'm curious for you, how do you process this feeling of stress and pleasure uh, as a founder, as a Indie creator.
0: Yeah. So kind of a footnote that like content creation as a whole has sort of just, um, it has grown up like 10 years ago, a company would give social media management to an intern and fast forward 10 years, um, people can make a six figure income doing this for major corporations and an integral part of their marketing strategy. So basically just kind of the productization of content that has taken place over the last 10 years people waking up to it like hey this is a very very powerful marketing channel is kind of what you know puts that pressure puts that pressure on so you see a lot of people who come kind of from the the point where they did it just for fun are sort of pulled into that productization because they basically made a product before it was a product and now all of a sudden the world has decided your blog is now a product and then all of a sudden there's pressure so uh, for me, how to kind of like deal with that is just you just see it as um, as you're producing for a product, and it has to be something that you enjoy doing. There's um, whenever you do things, there are things that give you energy and that take away energy. And if you stack it the wrong way, if you keep doing things you don't like uh, more than you do things you do like, you burn out. That's kind of just as simple as it is. So for content creation to be able to do it a lot, you actually need to enjoy it. Like, if you don't enjoy making the content, you're going to burn out and it's not going to work. Um, And that's, there's actually an important lesson there when you pick the channels you're going to use. Um, Because in marketing, it's for like, okay, who's our target audience? Where are they? For example, like, okay, we're going to sell clothing to 20 year olds. Okay, they're probably on TikTok. Let's do videos. But if the person who's going to make those videos, your client or whoever that is, is super uncomfortable with that. but it's not going to work. And the same with companies. If your company is very closed off, high, the hierarchy is like very tight. then um, they might want to go on social media. Like, yeah, we want a YouTube channel and all that stuff. But the company DNA, the collective sum of personalities and intelligence and everything in the company isn't aligned with the type of stuff you need to do to be successful there. So rather than just looking at, like, OK, where is my audience? And what do they respond to? You also need to look at, like, hey, what are we going to be able to do? Like, are we going to be able to utilize the channel and make the content that is going to work? It's kind of like, if you need to move furniture, you're like, okay, we the house is over there. That's great. We have the stuff here. We know what we need to move, but yeah, like we don't have a car, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you can pick the channel, but if you don't have the means to get it there, um, it's not going to work. And I think a lot of Companies get stuck on that. I not think I've seen them get stuck on that, Um, where they basically pick a channel that that they're not comfortable with. So it's better to pick a channel that is less optimal for the audience you're trying to reach if it means that you really enjoy being on that channel. If you're on LinkedIn every day, I have a client, he hates social media, but he's on LinkedIn a lot. Well, good thing he does business to business stuff. So LinkedIn is a fine channel for that, and he enjoys it, and then it's good. Yeah, but yeah. if you would be like, no, oh, I want business to business stuff, and you love TikTok, you're scrolling TikTok the whole day, it's like, well, this is going to be a difficult one. Like, you're going to have to get excited about a new channel and, and actually enjoy being there. And I think that's a, a key element that a lot of companies and founders and others miss. And that's also why a lot of the people that we know do so well on Twitter because they are X. They love being on that platform, they love interacting with people there, they get a lot of enjoyment out of it and that is transferred to people um and that's why it works
1: for sure well you've covered one of my main marketing advice questions with that answer so we can skip that one uh let's let's take a quick break and go through some of my quick hit questions so uh what is your favorite breakfast food
0: i don't eat breakfast but if i would have to choose i would have bacon and eggs
1: something that fills I saw the other day you, you posted breakfast for dinner on Twitter, which I'm a big fan of, you know, eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just shift it,
0: shift it <laughs> over there. Like, just use it as dinner. Yeah, that's fine.
1: All right. Uh, what's the last mobile app you downloaded?
0: It's an app to finally learn Finnish. I, it's called Reword. I, ah. I'm trying to finally learn Finnish. So, yeah.
1: Right on. Uh, have you tried any of the other sort of language learning apps?
0: Yeah, I tried Duolingo, uh, but it was very annoying. Um, and they kept teaching me over and over how to say it, wizard, which yeah, is not they... a word I use very often. <laughs> uh, but I have a, another app I use, Finish pod 101. They're actually quite good. Um, and then the Reword app, basically, to study words real quick instead of jumping on
1: Instagram. Very cool. And next holiday destination, whether you have one planned or just have an idea in mind.
0: Yeah. uh, Me and the wife are probably going to go to Spain Um, during the finished winter, just work from Spain for two weeks and uh, then come back here.
1: Yeah. Sounds lovely. All right. So back to marketing advice, then Uh, your LinkedIn tagline, which is slightly different from your Twitter tagline is uh, strategies to help you take control of your marketing. So I guess, the pain point that you're highlighting there is, is founders lose control at some point of their marketing or they don't know how to control it. Uh, so what in what ways do you see that happening with the founders that you talk to?
0: Yeah, so mostly people, um, like for a lot of people, marketing is kind of a buzzword. When During my day job, I also work in marketing at a company and it is it is really the only department inside of a company that everybody thinks they know something about. You'll never hear salespeople or marketers or HR or whatever walk up to like DevOps and say like, yeah, you shouldn't use Docker switch to Kubernetes or something. They will never do that, but you will absolutely hear a developer walk over and suggest things to go on Twitter and other stuff, um, which is all with good intentions. But course, I found nice. I found working in different industries and different roles that as soon as you go into a role, the more you learn, the less, you know, you're like, oh, this was way more complicated. than I thought it was, this is insane. And you can keep learning. Um, so it's kind of like that, that understanding that a lot of people will jump into it. They won't really know what to do. They know social media exists. They know they can get ads. Um, they know they need copy on their website, but knowing that like copywriting is a whole science, like there's it's an absolute science behind that. Um, UI UX design is a science and like all of these things that will help you get towards your goal. Um, and you can't do that as a founder. You can't do that as a small business. It's just, it's just too much. If you want to do it optimally, you need the experts to help you with that. It's just too big. And it's not your, your goal either. Like You're there to make your product, to get your product out there. Not to learn an entire new profession. Like You already need to know, you know all your administration and all these laws. And you need to open a business bank account. You need to convince people to give you money and your product and talk to your customers. And then doing marketing as an afterthought is just a bad idea. So where they need these practical strategies is they need someone who's an expert to come in, make the strategy, and say, okay, you can either do this yourself, or you know we can work with people who are experts at this and they execute it for you, and then you get you know you just get more results. So that is where where I kind of always see this going that people try to take it on themselves. Then they realize like, oh yeah, this is actually an entire industry, an entire set of professions that are experts. And I'm not gonna learn this before my product launch. So, you know, maybe we need help. And that is usually the point where we come in. That is in the timeline of customer journey, that is the moment you sell, um, which is also something people forget often. Not who do you sell to, but when do you sell? So that's that's for me the point in time uh, to be in contact with people.
1: Yeah, so I guess let's uh, let's talk a little bit more concretely about the strategies. Um, so you have a founder, maybe they've already got a domain, they've already got sort of simple landing page up. They come to you, they say, man, I've been reading this thought leader and he says that SEO is the way to go. I've been reading this guy and he says, build your newsletter list because you got to own those emails and that's your best connection to your customer base. I talked to yeah. the the Twitter influencer and or TikTok influencer, and they say, man, TikTok, I got so many views in two weeks. I just started, it's amazing. And sort of their head's spinning. So where do you break this down in terms of priorities with that founder? What does it look like?
0: Well, the first thing you need to find out is like, like what are you solving for who? Like, who is this for? What are you doing? And then it's like, have you validated this idea? Like, do you have people like that said like Yes, we need this. Do you have pre-sales or some sign-ups already? That's kind of the baseline to go from there. If that doesn't exist, I will help them figure that out. Like, okay, who is your product for? And there are different ways to get that as well. Once you figure out what problem you're solving, then you can kind of go. If you know who it's for and what it does, you can make a value proposition. For example, like you know, like we help you lose weight by keeping track of your calories. Um, through our application, whatever. Just something off the top of my mind. So who is it for? What does it do? What is your outcome? Make a tagline um, and then from there we can go from there. Like that's just the basic before you do figure out what channels you need to reach people uh, what your messaging is and all of that stuff. Once you figure that out, you can go, okay, who are we talking to? So how are we gonna talk to these people? What type of language do people respond to? Um, Kind of get that messaging going. And then we're going to figure out, like, where are we going to put this messaging? What channel are you going to go on? And, and that's kind of where you also need to look at, like, when are you going to sell to people? Um, an example of this is the, um, the company I work for now. One of the products, uh, during my day job, one of the products we launched helps people put AI into their software without learning any AI. And it's, it's very useful. But the problem is, is that the point at which we sell is before someone starts building their app. And it's made for technology-based people, technology people. And the problem with all these tech people is they build their app and then they think of marketing. So by the time they tell the world, like, hey, we've made this app and we know they exist, they already built their backend. So we're not considered for that project, but we're for the next project. So my challenge now is just to go ahead and figure out what is a signal that I can pick up anywhere that people, people are thinking of building that app. Because I need to sell it before they build the backend. So the point at which you sell is like heavily dependent on either listening to triggers out there or to create triggers yourself. So that is the next thing I do with people. I figure out when are people in the selling mood or in the buying mood, and then how do we create triggers for that to get them to trigger basically like yes, I'm going to buy this. An example of this: um, creating triggers like if you see ads for uh, let's say uh, for a beer. Oftentimes, it's situated inside of a bar. Like, people are out drinking with their friends. They're having fun. And then you know they drink Heineken, Amstel. They drink whatever Bud Light, whatever they're drinking. And that is set inside of a bar. And then what do they do with the bar? They buy a, they buy a space there. They go, like, hey, can you put this massive Heineken bottle there? Can you put this mirror with us in there? And Now, what happens is it's in people's mind. They're in the bar. They're at the moment they're going to purchase. And then they're just reminded of, hey, you know, there's the beer brand, and then then they buy that beer brand. So just reaching out to people is not going to work. You need to make sure that they think of you when they're about to make that purchase decision. That's why food products are often situated inside of a supermarket in a commercial, because that's where people make the decision to buy it. And especially in tech, all these tech founders, even if they figure out their target audience, they still won't figure out like, okay, when is someone going to buy my product? When are they doing this? Like, that is very difficult. Um, so that's kind of my process. And once we figure that out, we make the triggers, make the messaging, we pick the channels. Um, and then we make a plan, we execute it, and then we, you know, we come back to it, we analyze. Um, but that is a bird's eye view of if I go from zero to getting someone somewhere, um, basically kind of what I do.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important for founders to sort of get a sense of the time frame some of these tactics or strategies take so i guess if you're working with someone you know say they've decided okay i want to use the blog and probably repurpose that content to make a newsletter and repurpose all that content to sort of grow via twitter as well Sort of get all that traffic coming in uh what is a realistic time frame for them and maybe how, how much per week do they need to put into that to see results?
0: It depends on all, like a lot of factors, really. Um, it's It can be difficult to say, just like just give a ballpark figure. For some things you can, for like search engine optimization, you need to put out very regular content. Um, you need to actually optimize it for keywords at least a little bit. And then you're going to see results several months from now. Like it's really like a long-term strategy. So oftentimes it's good to pick two things. Pick something that you can do right now that gives results now, which is cold outreach. You know, emailing. Get someone on Fiverr to build you an email list. You know, find LinkedIn profiles. Like cold outreach um, and advertising. Those kind of those kind of channels are direct. They're like right now. Like if if I need sales today, book meetings now. I'm gonna find people in my target audience, pick up the phone, and call them. I'm gonna hey you know, this is the pitch, pitch it to a bunch of people, like seriously, because it's really direct. You have them on the phone now. But if you do anything content related, like people are like, yeah, I want a YouTube channel. Like I'm building a YouTube channel now. It can take years before, you know, it really takes off. It's, you know, your YouTube channel, it takes, it can take very long. So a lot of people will pick uh, channels that just take endless amounts of time to build, uh, That take, very consistent effort over and over and over and then they're like yeah we're going to try it for a few weeks and then they don't see results it's like yeah that's it's like you plant a tree in your backyard so that your kids can have a swing hanging from it and then like <laughs> after two weeks you're like damn it grow like why are you not growing and then they buy all this special food they throw on it and they're like come on grow quicker and then they start doing dances for it and stuff and it doesn't work that you just need to buy a... the tree grows?
1: yeah you so, just need to buy a swing set <laughs> Not
0: no. a tree, <laughs> you know. It's already made out of a chopped down tree. Yeah. Right so, but that is kind of the thing. Like, if you want a tree now, then you know you buy it, just like you buy ads, just like you buy a list to call in an automatic dialer, and you start pitching to people. You can do that now. So, oftentimes, and this is that triangle thing, right? That people do. You can have it like fast and cheap, but it takes long. You can have it, you know, like good and fast, but it's expensive. Right. It's literally that. If you want it right now you need to pay for some sort of list you can call to or pay for ads. If you want it to be good, but cheap, you have to put in a lot of work, make a lot of content, and it's going to come half a year or a year from now. So that is definitely something to keep in mind when when picking your channels. Um, But there's a lot more to picking channels. But in terms of time, uh, that's kind of the consideration. For sure.
1: I guess uh, for Pinkbird, you already mentioned your strategy with Pinterest. Um, in terms of channel selection, uh, what other channels are you on? And I guess, what are the justifications or reasons that you have decided with those channels?
0: Yeah, so basically we're on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, mostly so that people can mention the page when they give us a shout out. They're building trust. There's so many fake reviews out there that what I was kind of thinking is, and I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm also just trying stuff. Um, I'll just ask people for a shout out on social media if something was useful. So they do that usually on Twitter and LinkedIn. I can screenshot that and put it on the webpage. Um, So that is mostly what that's for, uh, just to be visible and be taggable. Uh, But there's no real specific content strategy there for the page or whatever. Um, It's not really part of it. So in terms of content, Pinterest is my long-term thing. Uh, together with the podcast that I'm launching. And the podcast is also to be able to cut it into shorter clips. So you kind of get double the content. So you do a long form video, cut it into short videos, and trying to bank on the fact that all these platforms are fighting over short form video. So the algorithms are very favorable to that. And I'm going to try to bank on that. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm trying it. That is, I'm also experimenting. Will cutting up a podcast and using it, their work. Um, so that's kind of the long-term strategy, Pinterest, because it's a visual search engine and it can get insane amounts of web traffic from it. And then YouTube, the podcast has actually like several things. Like one of the reasons to do a podcast is uh, to get people in there and to talk about marketing. And people see that and they're like, hey, that's actually kind of stuff I would want to brainstorm for my company. And they they buy it. Um, there's some social currency involved, which is things that make people look good. If you invite someone for a podcast, they feel honored, they share it, you get reach. So there's different reasons for having a podcast. Um, maybe those are some of the reasons you have a podcast for with parallax. Uh, yeah, for sure. So so that is, that is it's just a good way and it's nice to kind of connect with people as well. Um, like in the future, I will probably actually remove the free consultations, like once I get customers and then I'll be like, hey, if you want the free consultation, we do it in public, you come on the podcast. Um, yeah and we talk, but that's not now. Like I don't have enough customers to justify that, but I am just gonna be like open about the strategy. Like you can, you know, this is the strategy, follow along for the ride uh, and just sort of see where that goes. Short form is for me all about just reaching out to people. So keeping your eye open on my personal profiles basically, um, but also sending emails, doing cold calls uh, to get customers, so very direct. Um, Diving into Pinterest a little bit, uh, it's like the most underappreciated social media platform out there. If you, ha- if you are in any kind of marketing or sales niche, or if you are in anything visual, like budding planners, photographers, artists, anything visual um, or sales related, it's a huge platform. It is income funded. It is actually making a profit. All these other networks are just, I don't know who's keeping them afloat, investors. Um, they have a very like dedicated sort of crowd And it's a mix between a search engine and a social media platform. So whatever you throw in there, it stays there. If you put something on Twitter, it's gone tomorrow. If you put it on Pinterest, you can get traffic from it like three years from now. They get get stuff suggested. The more you put into it, the more it kind of goes into the algorithm and sort of gets gets put out there. Interesting. Can can I ask you a few? But yeah. you need you need like insane dedication and like do it every day every day every day and then a year from now you're gonna be like holy shit I'm getting a thousand views on my website a day from Pinterest.
1: Okay, can and- I can I ask you some more details about this because um, a couple years ago someone from our sales team was like shared this Pinterest is the goldmine of marketing that nobody knows about article with us and and I was like okay I didn't know about it honestly. And so I was like, okay, let's try. We'll make an account there. We made an account there for Parallax. And I shared it with the design team. I said, apparently Pinterest is the hot shit. Let's do this. Uh, And they immediately, and this is not to dog on the, the design team at all. I love them. They make beautiful things. We just immediately dumped all of the designs they had from Dribbble in one round onto Pinterest on our account and forgot about it like mm. 35 40 designs whatever how many ever it was uh, and then said okay we did it so <laughs> i assume that's not how it actually works <laughs> no no that's not how the platform
0: works um, so in a, in a nutshell, so what
1: what should we do better so
0: basically the the way to look at it it's kind of it's a place where people get ideas so people go there for ideas for clothing they go there for recipes they go there for like marketing tips or um, all sorts of stuff like that. So, for example, like if you want to get the traffic to your blog, you basically just make a pin and don't make it a, just an image. It needs to be actually the idea. So you put the bullet point like the, the some of the text a little bit, and you take the title and you make a Pinterest design in the format that Pinterest wants, and then you post that with a description and a link back to the blog. So. And the other way to grow on pinterest is just posting natively so you don't want to pull people off the platform but you need to post ideas like for example you have these do-it-yourself channels there and they're huge like people remodeling a house people building a cabinet uh, like ideas it's about sharing your ideas so my strategy right now what i do is i write a daily blog post now and then i make six pinterest pins out of it so that's where ChatGPT gpt comes in I have it generate six different versions of my title. um, And I put those on six different pins and making Canva. And then I upload it, and six of them go online every day. The recommendation is uh, the minimum is like three pins a day, and the maximum is about 30. And you see the big accounts actually posting towards 30 a day. So that's one section of it. And the other thing is to basically um, add other people's ideas to your boards. So you really kind of see it as the virtual version of having an idea board. You have like several idea boards. You have, oh, I have marketing ideas here, uh, and here I have a board with like, oh, ideas for wedding dresses, ideas for recipes, ideas for this. And you gather other people's stuff on there, and then you add your own ideas to it that fit in there. Um, and over time, basically, other people get suggested your content, and then they share it to their boards, and other people see it there. So it kind of spreads. Through this search engine, and that's kind of how to use Pinterest. Um, but yeah, just posting designs and stuff is kind of not going to do something. However, if you would, for example, let's say you did like designs for a summer campaign or whatever you're doing, like for example, your startup summer, you write a blog post or a series of posts about about that, and then you take those designs and put them into a Pinterest design that actually says like you know five design inspirations from our startup summer and you put some of your art on there, make it a Pinterest pin, link it back to the blog. That's how you would use it because you're giving people ideas. Hey, five design ideas. That's, that's the stuff that goes on Pinterest. So you actually saw the whole cybersecurity industry jump on Pinterest several years ago. Like in one go, they were like, oh yeah, infographics, infographics. Um, nobody cares about cybersecurity on Pinterest. 90% of the audience is female. Uh, cybersecurity is 90% male, your audience is not there. Nobody really cared, Um, especially 10 years ago when there were even less women in tech, nobody cared. So they all all did the same. They dumped a bunch of infographics there and like all sorts of cool stuff. And it's still there. Like you can look for cybersecurity on Pinterest. You find the same stuff, it's still floating there. Um, But it was just an industry mismatch. But if your industry does well on Pinterest, it's a goldmine if you put in the effort.
1: Very cool. All right, I will I will take notes from all of that and, and <laughs> put it into practice. See what it does. Uh, I'll probably just go check out what you're doing and, and try try to apply the sim, similar principles to our content because it sounds cool. All right, let's see. We're about to wrap up, um, but I do want to ask about the team at Pink Bird. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you were hiring. Um, are you still hiring for roles at Pinkbird? And, and what kind of folks would you like to join the team?
0: So right now, we've kind of stopped that. We have three people in total now. Okay. And um, like, it's, it's actually enough to run this on now. Um, so like the, the descriptions I put out at the time was kind of the types of people we wanted to mm-hmm. join the team, basically. Um, and we kind of have that now, like, uh, like Lin Zhang. She's really good with design. And that's kind of like her thing and social media management. And then Amar is a really experienced copywriter, so we kind of have all the basics covered now. We might open up again in the in the future, um, but it's really great having them on there because they have so much different experience. I've been prodding them to write their bio, so it's not just my stuff on the about page. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they need to get back to me on that. Um, yeah. Their stuff will be on there as well, uh, but it's. To give a little bit of a backstory, like Lynn is actually in, um, she's in Asia right now, and she doesn't want to say the exact country because um, because of like regulations and laws there. She doesn't really like it. Yeah. Maybe you have experience with countries where you kind of sometimes not want to be found when um, yeah. you do that online. Um, but she's very talented with design, and she knows a lot about AI and kind of how to make workflows with that. She's great to work with. And then for Amar, it's really interesting because he's originally from Pakistan, but he's lived most of his life in the US, in San Francisco, so he really has those insights into like different cultures and how they respond to different copywriting and then how that all kind of plays out. So kind of combining all sides of the world together in a very small team, uh, allows us to sort of also culturally relate to our customers, Um, because if you do global business, uh, that is something that is often overlooked, how cultures interpret your copy, how they... What do they respond to? What do they absolutely not want? So I think with the current team, we really kind of have that have it covered.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And what does success look like for Pinkbird in sort of six to eight months?
0: So six to eight months, I wanted to actually see our sales strategy take off um, to see more inbound traffic from that. Um, and then of course, you know, just have more clients. Um, I'm not going for immediately like the short term victory here. Like you want to do it correctly, we have a few clients now, which is kind of amazing starting like four weeks ago as an agency. And yeah. then so we having two paying clients after four weeks. I think that was quite cool. Um, but if we can at least triple that and have some recurring revenue going, so not just project-based, I think that right now we would be in a really good spot.
1: Yeah. I'm sort of curious from the perspective of uh, other founders who are doing their ideas as side hustles do you have sort of a, a threshold in place where you say if i can get to this or we can get to this then this doesn't have to be a side hustle anymore do you want it to be your full-time thing i don't want to get you in trouble with your regular job so answer um, as openly as you want yeah i don't
0: really i don't really actually like i do actually like like the place i work i i, I don't have a problem with being employed like it's okay if you work in a good place, like it's it's great. Yeah. Um, but I think in in today's world, in today's economy, um, it's just a good idea, regardless to have something you do on the side. And in this case, the my biggest win from this is just getting infinitely better at what I do. Like basically, if you wake up with it and you go to bed with it and you really enjoy what you're doing, uh, then the the amount of stuff you can learn in no time is insane. Like if I look back four months four months or or whatever, um, the things I learn, over that time period. And then if I would go like one year from now, where would I be? Like if I can make half of my salary from doing a side hustle and also be like 10x better at my job at the same time, like that would be fantastic. Yeah, But probably if you get really good at something and you do it with a passion, um, maybe it becomes full-time, who knows. Um, I don't plan for goals really. Goals are kind of pointless because then you go to the goal. But you need to plan for the activities that get you to that goal. If you enjoy the activities and keep doing them, then one day you're going to wake up and like, hey, that thing that I said was a goal but I wasn't focused on, I'm there now. You know, if you start running a marathon, you can read about it, you can try different shoes, you can do all sorts of stuff. You can go like, yeah, I need to get to the 42 kilometers. Like, no, you need to get to the next tree, And then you're going to say, OK, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit at the next tree, And then you're there, and you're there, and you're there until all of a sudden you can see a finish line and go, oh shit, I'm almost here, what happened. But it's only about the forward motion uh, that you keep doing and keep enjoying, instead of thinking like, oh, just 38 kilometers to go, like, oh yeah, shit, like, right. you're never gonna get there, we're gonna give up, so right. yeah.
1: Yeah, the better route is to, to fall in love with running basically every day, and then the marathon will probably happen if, if, if you love it.
0: Yeah, exactly, like you just enjoy the process.
1: Right on. All right, last question for you. What is one thing you used to believe very strongly about marketing or startups that you've changed your mind about recently?
0: Recently, how how recent is recent? (laughs) Um,
1: I'll give you a broad window here. Okay,
0: like recently I've learned at least about startups um, is that there's a very big difference between a tech startup and a sales startup. I knew there was a difference between companies that are run by salespeople and tech people. Um, but the bigger a company becomes, the less you notice it because they get so many more people involved, but in startups, it is a night and day difference, whether they're started by commercial people or whether they're started by tech people, like they're different planets.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, we could dive into that, but I don't want to, uh, (laughs) we've we've already gone for, for over an hour now. Um, Thank you so much, Frank, for uh, joining us and letting the world know more about Pinkbird. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up?
0: Um, yeah, just uh, if you're stuck with marketing, just book a session. First session's free for as long as that's going to last. And um, yeah, just you know, enjoy the ride. Enjoy, enjoy doing your marketing, your startup. Um, don't lose track of what you're
1: enjoying because of all the things you have to do. That is my closing word. For sure. That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for your time, Frank. And I will see you on X or Twitter. And I'll give that Pinterest strategy a shot with our content here. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye.